Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. We're going to get to the place in this text and really talk about conflict and tension, if you will. But let me say this, relationships as we know them are extremely messy. And it requires a lot of work to maintain strong relationships. Every person that we know is capable of copying an attitude at times. And some people I've met are capable of just having a bad attitude most of the time. Y'all miss them, freaks? I mean, I think on the backside of their shirt that says, your story matters, it says, avoid me at all costs. <laughs> but healthy relationships, when we get into them, they, they really do involve mutual care and like compassion and respect and a genuine interest of seeing like growth and, and welfare of health take place in the other person. Like a, a healthy relationship, you look at the other person, you want to see them flourish and you want to see them be all that they can be. And a healthy relationship is a safe place. It's a secure place where you can truly be yourself. Turn that phone off. You're distracting me. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> we've got a healthy relationship. I, tell, I don't even know where it came from. But I'm, I'm looking at you two girls here, Candace and Madison. But a healthy relationship allows you to be you without facing like condemnation and judgment. You know, and, and, and if you're in a relationship where you're constantly being judged and put down and there's all this criticism, man, it is so, so exhausting. Now, the healthy relationships have some of those ingredients, but the truth is and the reality is even healthy relationships have conflict. Every relationship that you will ever be in that has any meaning, purpose, or direction is going to feature conflict at times. And, and conflict, if, if we get honest, it's, you can't avoid it. It's part of just being human. And, 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 and when you've got different personalities and you've got these uh, unique preferences, if you will, and you bring your flesh patterns to the dance and I bring mine and I bring this personality I've got and you bring yours, I can promise you we're not going to always agree and get along and we're not going to dot every I and cross every T and high five each other on every point. There's going to be conflict because we're different. It's like I had a friend tell me years ago, he's like, he was talking about this dude that he was ministering to, and he goes, I just looked at him one day and said, hey, dude, I get your depravity. I just don't like your humanity. <laughs> and I thought, man, I'm stealing that line right there, because there's a lot of people I meet, and I go, I get your depravity. You were born a sinner. You're depraved. I just don't like your humanity. But, but the truth is, there's certain things about us when we look in the mirror and we start to do introspection that we don't even like about our own humanity. And, 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 and so we're trying to get well and we're trying to repent and we're trying to be restored every day. And so is our neighbor. Every person we meet is battling something. And, and we don't know what they've been through and, and how difficult that it's been. And, uh, and I would tell you this, when it comes to conflict, you can't resolve all of it, but you can learn to manage it. 
And I think a lot of times if you go into it saying, we're going to resolve this and we're going to restore this, it's probably not going to happen. You might have some expectations or not that are not going to be met. But if you go, you know what, we've got to learn to manage this. And we're going to sit down and collaborate and bring our differences. That's healthy. When it comes to conflict, avoiding and ignoring and suppressing conflict is tremendously unhealthy. Some of the most unhealthy people you'll meet, and these behaviors are very characteristic of those people in basic hospitals, those in uh, mental health centers, social agencies. Some of the sickest people you meet are people that are, have conflict, tension, and unresolved stuff in their life that they've tried to suppress, medicate, sedate, and never address. And what, what ends up happening, you'll lose your mind. And we, we live in this culture that tries to get a name and a label to stuff that oftentimes really... It's sin, it's sinful behavior, it's sinful stuff inside of us. And we try to just throw a label on it like, man, that dude is suffering, man, from mental illness. Well, a lot of times mental illness is birthed out of spiritual sickness and spiritual deadness. And because we won't get right with God, our minds get all jacked up and we go to these horizontal clinics to try to find the fix and they, they, don't, they don't work. We... we when you've got a hole in your soul and you've got all this disruption, I mean, we need the Lord to intervene and to rescue us. When it comes to dealing with conflict, there's three basic ways that people handle or, or, or treat or approach conflict. They either, they either move just against it in anger and rage. Uh, all of a sudden there's some tension conflict. Oh, I'll deal with this and we bow up and, and, and there's anger and rage and you go, that, 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 that don't work. And, and then you'll see people, Steve, when there's conflict and tension, they'll move away from it in f fear because they, they, they can't handle it and it stresses them out. And so, man, I'm just going to get away from it and that don't work. Or you can move with it in love. And Jesus said the greatest of all of these is love. And when you sit down and go, you know what, let's agree to love each other. But let's work through this. We don't have to have resolve, but let's try to get some understanding in the process. And Rick, we talked through this, man, when all this stuff went down with COVID shutdown and Black Lives Matter and all the tension with the George Floyd and all this stuff, we would sit around and the one thing we were really trying to do was how can I, how can I get to understand you, where you're coming from? And I remember one night we had some of these meetings here, Chad, you and Dwayne, who's now on our team with us, you and Dwayne sat there and talked for three, four hours until after midnight, just sitting there going, Let's talk through this and let's love each other for the sake of the gospel. When you turn here in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42, the tension is high. Conflict is high. That's what you're dealing with. How is it going to be handled? Who, who, who's going to be the key players here? What, what are we going to learn that we can apply to our lives from this text here? Come on, stay with me. Acts chapter 5. Now, Jesus was a very popular rabbi, especially amongst those that were following him. He started his public ministry, if you will, and started his rabbi rabbinical work at the age of 30. He, you know, he was crucified three years later at 33. He, he had a lot of traction, but probably the most famous rabbi and the most honored and recognized rabbi of that day in the first century was a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel appears twice here in the book of Acts. 
And when it comes to this situation here, when the tension and conflict is high, he is a voice of reason, and he's a voice that is uh, respected, that, that, that people go, well, we'll listen to you. And you know when tension and conflict is high and, and all this stuff kind of gets sideways, oftentimes you're looking for that wise sage, that, that person who has wisdom in their life to go, this, this guy's got the ability to diffuse this. Now, now, that being said, a little backdrop as we dive into it here in the first century, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, was in power, if you will, in Israel, in Jerusalem here. Now, these guys had all this power and leverage and authority, and the members of the Sanhedrin were composed of your two uh, strong religious political groups. It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Those were the two groups that made up, if you will, uh, the religious and political pulse of that day. And they, uh, they were supposedly all of these guys that sat on the Sanhedrin. Some believe it was around 70 that would make this, uh, this number of group up. Uh, they were all supposedly experts in the law of Moses. So they were supposed to be brilliant, educated, the Harvard PhD guys, top of the food chain, okay? Now, the interesting thing is when you study the, the Sanhedrin and you study who composed this group, I, I, I don't know if you knew or not, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees despised each other. That would never happen in America where you have two groups That would never happen in our country, right? I mean, the Dems and Republicans, I mean, they're always going to love each other and pray for each other and support one another. Do you, do you see tension has always existed? And anytime you've got man involved and man has got like a, a void of a true God concept, you're going to have things get sideways and a heartbeat. And Nick and I were talking about this this week that these two groups despised each other, but their hatred for Jesus was greater than their hate for each other. And, and nothing unites like a common enemy. So even though they couldn't stand seeing each other and being with each other, they, they locked arms and said, we hate this dude. We hate this movement, right? The, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, when you start to study it, they appear, they, appear, they appear like Ananias and Sapphira. They appear to be God-fearing, law-abiding people. They appear to be that way. Again, as I said, these are the people of power and influence. Now, their understanding, their understanding of the law and their traditions had become their God. I didn't say the truth of God. I just said their understanding of God and their own traditions had become their God. And, and, and their own traditions and this own understanding or vague concept of God that they had that was not intimate and relational, it had replaced, if you will, true worship, legitimate, intimate worship of God. I'll get to that with us. And, and so they knew how to front in public to give the appearance of, and they had enough knowledge and facts about this God that they could throw out there and leverage. But they, 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 they didn't know God in an intimate way, in a personal, relational way. Uh, they just knew about God. And that is so 
Uh, but it's such an accurate pulse of kind of like the Southern culture. There's so many people that have grown up around church and they know some about God and, and they've had some church experience, even some Jesus kind of experience, but they don't know God. They don't walk with God. They don't worship God. And, and you know, I, I mentioned over the last few weeks that the apostles and the disciples they hung out with Jesus and they knew the scripture and Jesus taught them the scripture and they studied it. But here's something I believe. This is not a guilt, shame, kind of should on you statement. It's just the reality. I think we should be here. We should be able to dialogue and say, hey, Rick, what's your favorite verse in the book of Matthew? And Rick would pop quite a few of them at me. Or what's your favorite passage in Mark and Bam and the favorite in Luke or John? And go, hey, what's your favorite passage in Acts? Because we've hung out with Jesus and we've read the word of God and we just want to worship him, we should be acquainted with the sayings and teachings of God. We, we should. But, but for many, it's like, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to study. I'm not going to pursue. I'm not going to participate. I, I mean, I'm not going to do that. And so we, 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 you end up having a lot of people that are a mile wide and an inch deep when it comes to their relationship with God. And, 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 and that's where the Sanhedrin had gotten. They were supposed experts in the law. They were, and some of them had some, some legit knowledge, okay? The interesting thing when you study the first century here of what was happening, the Sadducees were in control, if you will, of the government or they were in control of the Sanhedrin. And they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? But then they would say, well, the Pharisees were not fair, you see, because, I, I, I mean, because they, they believed in all this oral tradition being equated with the, 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 the validity of the Scripture. We would have probably landed over here close to the Sadducees, the truth be known. They were more biblical purists than the Pharisees were. But, but there was some oral tradition. Anyway, you had these two groups, and the Sadducees were in control. And the Sadducees are the ones that had taken out a warrant to arrest John and, and Peter. And basically, they're wanting to kill them. And this is the same group that had killed Jesus. And in verse 28 of chapter 5, we read this. The Sanhedrin, speaking to them, Luke capture, captures this statement. He goes, we gave you strict orders, Sanhedrin talking to Peter and John and those guys. We gave you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name anymore. We told you to shut up. We told you to keep your mouth closed. We told you not to teach in his name. Then, then, they, then they spin it. Watch this. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That was a lie. They were not filling Jerusalem with their teaching. They were filling Jerusalem with the teachings of God. They were filling Jerusalem with truth. And the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees here that make up this council, the Sanhedrin, they're like, you're, you're messing with us. You're messing with our power. You're messing with our authority. You, you are teaching these people all this stuff. And this is the, the whammy, if you will. And you're determined to make us look guilty of this man's blood. We told you to shut up teaching this. You're filling this whole culture around here with your teaching, and you're making us look like we're the guilty ones. I mean, these guys are educated. These guys are the top of the food chain intellectually, 
religiously. Now, this, this cracks me up. These dudes are the brilliant minds, and you got a couple of throwback redneck dudes that were fishing down on the pier, chilling like Dylan. All of a sudden, Jesus says, follow me. They start following Jesus. All of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. You've got these intellectuals threatened by these 21, 22, 23-year-old dudes. It's like, why are we threatened? Because we are balking against God, we're threatened because these guys are honestly worshiping the God that we say that we know. These guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something about them. They've hung out with this Jesus dude, and there's this boldness about them that we've got all the intellect. We're the smart ones. We're the gifted ones, and we don't know what to do with them. The apostles, what are y'all doing? We're, we're preaching Jesus. He's Messiah. We're proclaiming resurrection. They're even bringing people to us, and we're healing them. Even that dude, we don't have silver and gold, but we have, man. We, we know Jesus. Get up and walk. Another dime or a dollar is not going to change your life, but Christ will. Healing is going on. And, and how are they rewarded, celebrated, or applauded for the God stuff that they're doing? They're not brought before the city going, hey, we want to honor you guys today, that you're the sharpest uh, people we've met in a while, and the work that you're doing is cleaning up Jerusalem. We're so proud of you. Here, here's an award that we want to get. They, they, don't, they don't get that. They don't, they don't get like a government check that's going to help them. No, we, we, don't, we don't get that. They get beaten. They get thrown in jail. They get threatened. They get guilted. They get shamed. It's like, this is what we signed up for. Yes, this is what you signed up for. When Peter, when you said, where else will we go? You've got words of eternal life. I'm going to hang with you. Here's the problem. Y'all are doing all this stuff in Jesus' name, and y'all have attracted a huge following and crowd. And the Sanhedrin is losing power and influence People are paying more attention to you guys than they are the religious educated. And they're starting to see their leverage in society diminish. And they're worried. People aren't going to listen to us. Gamaliel stands up in the midst of this. Follow me. This is Acts 5. Before the council of Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the, teacher of the law. The law of Moses, who was honored by all, all, all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that Peter and John be put outside for a bit. They brought them here. They beat them. They ridiculed them. They, they threatened them. They've got them standing here in the midst of the Sanhedrin. He goes, put them guys outside for a little bit. Put, put them up. Then Gamaliel addressed them and said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Gamaliel, he was a leader in the Sanhedrin. He was a, a respected rabbi. He was one of the most admired teachers of his day. Homeboy has a boatload of experience and knowledge and insight and wisdom. And all, all these people go, we respect that guy. 
Gamaliel. Who is he? And then you have to ask, like, who do you go to for wisdom? Who do you listen to for wisdom? When, when your back's against the wall and the tension is high, who, who do you lean into? Who would you trust? I, not, not for knowledge and not for info and not for criticism, but for wisdom. Acts chapter 22, we'll get to this later. Paul says, I, I'm a Jew born in Tarshish. I was brought up and educated in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. My rabbi was Gamaliel. Paul, your rabbi was Gamaliel. That's who taught me. That's who trained me. That's who I followed in the dust of was Gamaliel. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and traditions by Gamaliel. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did. Learning under Gamaliel. Who stands up? Gamaliel. You, 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 you were under Gamaliel? Yes. Do you see how powerful this guy's voice, influence, and respect was? And here he makes a few critical observations. In verse 36, he goes, guys, uh, listen, be careful what you do with these guys. Stop. Tap the brakes. I know you're mad. I know that you're raging. I know that the way you're handling right now this conflict and tension is not, he can see it. He goes, now let me remind y'all of something. Years ago, a guy by the name of Theodos appeared. He claimed to be somebody. About 400 men followed him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed and it came of nothing. That movement that Theodos founded and launched and then he says, after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. He led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Hey, Theodos and Judas had a cause. They had notoriety. They had attracted a group, a group that even agreed with them, but they were killed. They died, and their followers dispersed, and nothing happened. Hey, there was a guy by the name of Jim Jones that claimed to be a prophet of God, and this David Koresh... Y'all remember them dudes and they, they attracted people and they had personality and passion and charisma and people said, hey man, that's what he's talking about here. Hey, hey Judas of Galilean, that dude, man, he was a charismatic, charismatic dude and so was Theodos. But y'all remember that these movements fell because their leaders were just men and I don't know if y'all have noticed, it's almost like Gamaliel is speaking that which is understood but not said. I don't know if you noticed that when their leaders died, the movement died, and the reason the movement died is when their leaders died, they stayed dead. But this movement over here has got a leader that died that didn't stay dead. And I know y'all are a bunch of Sadducees that don't believe in the possibility of resurrection, but this leader they're following is not dead. So y'all need to be careful what y'all want to do with him. Because this one's different. Gamaliel focused on the cause that they were preaching. And what were they preaching? Resurrection. The, sep the separator. 
And his counsel was this. His counsel was this. If this movement is of God, you can't stop this. I mean, I get saved, read the New Testament, yes. But it was 1990, I was up in a Midwest city, I'll call it. And I'd been asked by this church to come up and do this evangelistic outreach. I'll never forget. And uh, man, I go up, had an incredible outreach. We're using baseball, we're teaching the fundamentals of the game. A few of the guys would share their testimonies, we would present the gospel. And uh, there's like 12, 1,500 people at this thing. It's a, it's a blast. All these kids are coming out, they're meeting their heroes, but they're hearing the gospel. And this dude comes up to me and he goes, hey, I want to do that. I've been praying about doing something like this. And this guy is with a parachurch ministry in this Midwestern city. And uh, a parachurch ministry is one that comes alongside the local church, like FCA or AIA or you, one of those kind of things. And, and so this guy is the chaplain for their Major League Baseball team. He's also the chaplain of their NFL team in this big city that he's at. And he's like, man, I want to do this next year. I said, I'll do it with you. I said, matter of fact, let's partner in this thing and uh, I'll, I'll help you do it. You're in the city. Let's see where it goes. So I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I'll help this dude. I feel like it's the right thing. So anyway, I sent him a clinic manual. The guy I worked with, Tom, that started that ministry, Unlimited Potential I was with, he had put together like a 25, 28-page clinic manual. It was laid out like how to, to go about how we went about setting everything up. It's great. It was great. It, it, it worked, right? So I sent it to the guy. I'm coaching the guy up on the phone. Never forget this. I buy my ticket. Hey, yeah, man, I want you there. And so a couple months out, I buy this ticket to go to this city. And we get about three weeks out, and crickets, I don't hear from the dude. We get two weeks out, the dude's not communicating. We get one week out, and the dude has severed it. So I'm like, well, I still got the ticket. I'm going there. So I get there. He doesn't want me to participate. He wants me nowhere around what he's doing. And so my buddy Jack that I told you about last week, Jack happened to be in the city at the time. He was about four months post-op of his open-heart surgery. I'll never forget. And he looked at me, and he goes, what is he doing I said, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, this dude had his parachurch ministry. He had these balloons flying. He was promoting himself. He, he was, man, he was all about what he was doing. He got to the end. He, he, the guys didn't really share a testimony. He didn't present the gospel. Jack is like, hit me. What is he doing? He's not even sharing the gospel. I said, Jack, listen to this, dude. I said, I am studying through the book of Acts. Now it's 1991. I was studying for the first time ever through the book of Acts. I'd read it, but I'd never, never studied it. And I was in chapter 5. And I said, hey, Jack, if what this dude is doing is not of God, like Theodos and Judas, it'll fall to the wayside. But if this dude is really honoring God and I try to fight him, I'm going to be fighting God. And I'm going to lose. Two years later, this dude is fired as chaplain of the major league team, NFL team. They run him out of the city. And I was like, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. Do you know that I've gone to this text right here over, this is one of my favorite texts. Because people come and people go and people appear and Gamaliel had seen more 
false prophets and more pseudo-God movements than you could shake a stick at. And he goes, watch and let's see if these people are of the Lord. I have had to uh, dismiss certain staff people over the years. Steve, Chad, Neil, elders in this room, some of those guys have been a part of these conversations and had to walk through that stuff with me. It is hard when you sit down with a guy and say, hey, man, this is not going to work, okay? But I can promise you, I have had multiple people that I've let go because we knew as we prayed through it, this dude is not a fit on our team. This dude is not a, he's not a fit for our philosophy of ministry. I have repeatedly had those guys slander me like a champ. The word slander means a false report maliciously spoken intending to injure the reputation of another. And when that's happened, hey, this is going to happen to you. If you're wise, you're going to tap the brakes and listen to this today. I want to encourage you with two things. One, I want to encourage you to read a book, a simple, simple book. It's by a guy by the name of Gene Edwards. And the book is a tale, T-A-L-E, a tale of three kings. I've read that book at least 15 times in my life. And sometimes it's good for me to read that book annually because it deals with tension and conflict. And basically it's looking at Saul, David, and Absalom. And it says, what, what kind of king go Absalom is going to be? Is he going to be one closer to David or one more like Saul? And how they deal with conflict. I would encourage you to read that. And the second thing would be a free download. And if you, would, if you would do this, I promise you it would help you. If you would look at A.W. Tozer has written a simple little pamphlet called Five Vows of Spiritual Power. Five Vows, V-O-W-S, of Spiritual Power by A.W. Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. And what he lays out in that is never defend yourself. That's one of his vows. Never pass on something about another person that would bring harm to their name. That's two of the five vows. Read it. I had to read that again over the last few weeks on some stuff. I'm like, I need to read that. I need to ponder that. Because then you have to ask the question, when you deal with this kind of stuff in life, if what they're really doing is of God, I can't stop it. But if what they're doing is not of God, God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. He will expose it. It's what they're doing of God. The Sanhedrin, they were willing to violate the very law that they were pre- they were, in, they were in office to protect and promote this law. They were willing to violate this law because they wanted to kill Peter and John. They knew Exodus 20 says, thou shall not commit murder. Kill them. Even the writings of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. You realize when you are popping off at the mouth and running your mouth and Showing your real self. 
That's what you're really showing. People worded it a lot of different ways in the South, but you ain't showing, you're showing your real self. You're a fool. Proverbs 14, 29 says, when people with understanding control their anchor, anger, but a hot temper shows great foolishness. Y'all are supposed to be representing the law and you're going to violate the very law that you're in office to represent. Again, we would never see that in our culture today with those violating what they say they're representing, but they have lost their mind. Gamaliel, verse 38 and 39, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. If what they're doing is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And what Gamaliel knew was this. Jesus had made a claim. The claim that Jesus made was, I am Messiah. I am God in flesh. That was the claim that Jesus had made. That was the claim that these disciples, apostles are preaching. He's Messiah. That's his claim. Jesus had a cause. The cause was to bring redemption. And I am going to be crucified on the cross, raised on the third day, but I will bring hope to all people. The Sanhedrin, as a result of this claim and this cause, they had a problem because after they killed this Jesus, his followers increased and his popularity increased, and they didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't silence it. They couldn't silence the movement, Chad. Man, we can't do anything with this. And then even captured here in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira have died. Great fear is among all the people. God is doing something here. God is holy. The word of the holiness of God is spreading. You look at verse 16. Miraculous signs and wonders were being performed by the apostles. Crowds from all these different towns were bringing those who were tormented with sickness and evil spirits to the apostles. They were laying hands on them. People were getting healed in Jesus' name. We can't stop it. We can't silence it. They had a problem. There was a supernatural jailbreak that takes place here. Later, We'll, we'll read about another one later. With Paul and Silas in jail, there was a supernatural jailbreak that takes place here in Acts 5. And the Spirit of the Lord, this angel of the Lord that comes and sets them free. And the high priest and the Sadducees said, we're going to lock you up. It backfired. The angel said, hey, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Since y'all just had your lunch handed to you and y'all just got beaten and you've been in jail, why don't y'all go home and veg for about a month and chill and take a vacation and just spend some time just chilling no, he goes, hey, since I've let y'all out, just hit the streets again and go tell everybody the true story. Y'all, y'all go preach. They didn't spend a week on sabbatical. They went right back out into the streets, and he said, go, the angel did say, go proclaim to the people the full message of the new life in Jesus. Here's my rap. Listen to me. Please listen to me. The gospel was spreading. And here's something we need to get our minds wrapped around and really believe. The gospel continues today. God is desiring to see the gospel continue to spread. God is wanting to use people like you and me to spread the good news of the gospel. God is wanting to raise you up And send you to Loganville and beyond. To send you to the coastal plains of Georgia to some college to spread the the gospel. Right? He's going to send you down to the waters. 
Go. Go spread the gospel. He's going to send you to Georgia State. He's going to send you to the University of Georgia. He's going to send you all over. Go share the gospel. But here's the promise. Here's the guarantee. I'm going to make a guarantee to you. If you will say, yes, I want to be used by God to share the gospel, the good news with others. I'm going to make a guarantee to you. And this is very comforting. Affliction, adversity, ridicule, slander, and hatred await you. Because every person I know that takes a stand for Jesus will get attacked. And why so many people bail and get out of the game is because they don't want to be attacked. They don't want the tension and pressure. I would tell you, stay bold in Jesus' name. Paul said, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Hey, be ready, have courage. Here's, here, here's the close. Here, here, I want you to think about these questions. One, are you a person of wisdom that others come to when crisis and tension is happening in their life? Are you a person of wisdom? I didn't ask you if you could Google something on the phone and Get some fight. That, anybody playing that game? Yeah, this is my go-to person. I've had a few in my life, and I praise God for it. My buddy Ronnie that comes here, I'll bounce stuff off of him. I praise God now for people like Steve and Rick and Dustin and Nick. I bounce a lot of stuff off these guys. I bounce a lot of stuff off of Steve and Chad and Neil. And I'm like, hey, man, Richard, we benefit from being with each other. Hey man, how would you handle this situation right here? I got a recovery issue here, dude. And this person's strung out. What? Let me, let me talk to him because of your wisdom and experience. I go, man, how, how? but I trust you to step into that space with them. Wisdom. My, one of my mentors, Crawford Loritz said, experience is not always a good teacher, but it is the only school a fool will ever attend. And just because a person has had experience doesn't mean that they've had wisdom. It would be another question. Are you currently slandering anyone? No, is there somebody in the crosshairs of your conversation that you just feel the need to shred, that you're dogging and damaging their reputation? No, I'm not doing that. Oh, let me ask you this one. Are you listening to others slander a brother or sister and not cutting them off? Are you tolerating it and pacifying it? Are you committed to share Jesus with your world? If I am sharing Jesus with my world, part of sharing Jesus with my world is to say, that's enough. I'm not going to listen to your, your verbal attack on that person anymore. It's sin, okay? Let's go sit down with the person. And if you're not willing to do that, then you need to repent and just shut up. Do you know that that would eliminate a lot of conflict and chaos in our worlds? Go share Christ with your world. Mm -hmm.